Today I would like to talk about another kind of freedom that we all need, and if we do not have it, I've come to declare that it is ours to receive, and that is freedom from the tyranny of temptation, freedom from the tyranny of defeat, freedom from the tyranny of our own selves. But let's begin by learning from another nation that gained independence from tyranny, the nation of Israel. Here in 1 Corinthians 10, have you found it yet? Paul is writing to the church in Corinth of Greece. He said, Moreover, brethren, I'm reading from the New King James, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. There's just a parallel between these people and us as believers. Um, there is a, a thing the Bible refers to in Hebrews 6 as the doctrine of baptisms. And uh, it, it's related to this verse right here. Um, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Moses was their leader and they submitted to his authority and followed him to freedom. So they were baptized, as it were, into his leadership or into, into Moses. And they were also baptized in the leadership of the cloud. There was a cloud that led them by day and a pillar of fire that led them by night and protected them as well from their enemies. And they were baptized in the sea and that when the Red Sea parted and they left Egypt heading into the wilderness toward the promised land, they were below the surface of the waters, although they, they didn't get wet. They were baptized, as it were, in the sea. So it is in the Christian life. We are baptized into Christ. When you call upon His name, put your faith in Him, and turn from your sins, you are turning to Him to be your Lord. So you are baptized, as it were, into His leadership. Uh, we're baptized in water, of course, uh, as believers. You don't want to baptize unbelievers. You want to baptize someone who's a believer. So baptism into the leadership of Christ starts first, and then out of obedience to Him, the first thing He asks us to do as believers is to be baptized. Out of obedience to Him, we're baptized in water, and in obedience to Him, we go on and are baptized in the Spirit, which I believe is portrayed here in the cloud, the cloud and the fire. So there's some parallels here between us and them, even in the positive sense as well as the negative sense. Verse 3, they all ate the same spiritual food, they all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted, and do not become idolaters as were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Verse 8, nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and all in one day uh, 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain, as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, verse 12, let him who thinks he stands, or let her who thinks she stands, take heed lest he or she fall. No temptation has overtaken you, except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape, 
that you may be able to bear it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your wonderful presence in this room. As we gather together with brothers and sisters, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us. Get me out of the way, Lord, and let your word prevail in each and every heart. In Jesus' name, amen. So the context here is drawing some, some comparisons between our lives and the lives of the children of Israel in the wilderness. They faced temptations similar to temptations that we faced. And here he lists some of the negative responses they faced to temptation. But Israel also had some positive responses to temptation. Uh, one was when they were in Israel itself. I mean in Egypt itself as slaves. They were crying out to God for deliverance. And God raised up Moses after 400 years. And uh, Moses led Pharaoh through a series of plagues. And the last one... Uh, Israel participated in, the Israelites participated in, it was the Feast of Passover. It was a plague to the Egyptians, but it was a blessing to the Jews, to the slaves, because it ultimately led to their freedom. And in that feast, they killed an innocent lamb at the door of their house, painted the doorposts of their house, and ate of that lamb. And that night, when the angel of death, of judgment, flew over the land, he passed over the houses where the blood was applied, and in the houses where it wasn't, in the whole land of Egypt, the firstborn son passed away. And, of course, Pharaoh lost his firstborn son. It so broke his heart, he said, go, go. So in that instance of their temptation as slaves, they reacted properly. They obeyed Moses and applied the blood. Uh, they go into um, heading towards freedom, and Pharaoh changes his mind, and they're trapped with the banks of the Red Sea in front of them and Pharaoh's armies behind them. They don't go into rebellion. They just, you know, Moses, we've got a problem here. Moses prays, and God tells him to extend his rod out over the sea, and the sea parted. They walked across on dry land. Their enemies followed them. They had, so, they had seen so many great things happen that they didn't stop and look at this wonder. They followed them, of course, the water ceased to be parted, and their enemies were drowned in the sea. And the next morning, Miriam, with her tambourine and some of the sisters, led a dance and a song of praise. I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and rider has he thrown into the sea. They went on and came to a place where the only water available was very bitter. Moses prayed. They sought the Lord. The Lord showed him a tree to cut down and throw in the bitter waters. And the waters were made sweet. They continued on. They ran out of food. Moses, what do we do? Moses prayed. God sent them what the Bible calls angels' food. Called manna, meaning what is it? Bread from heaven. Uh, another instance, they had no water. God showed Moses a rock. To, hit, to strike the rock, water flowed forth and met their needs. Um, on another occasion... They complained, and God allowed snakes to begin to bite the people, to teach them a lesson. Moses prayed, God told him to make a serpent of bronze, put it on a pole, and whoever looked at the serpent would be healed of their snake bite. Um, so there were several times they faced temptation where they did the right thing and deliverance came. And so, Pex for this morning, verse 13 
speaks to us, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. What is idolatry? Idolatry is depending on anything other than God. It can be worshiping a false god. It could be depending on your own strength. It could be returning to some old addiction to help you cope with life. Whatever we depend upon other than God to help us face our trials, that is a temptation that can become idolatry. Do you see that? So, the promise we have here is that no matter what we face, God can make a way out. But I want to declare this. He is the way out. It really is Him. Uh, Moses was a type of Christ. He was baptized into... They were baptized into Moses. We are baptized into Christ. He led them to freedom from slavery. It was Moses' rod, the symbol of authority, that brought freedom through the parting of the waters. That was a picture of Christ's authority. The Passover lamb, what was all of that about? That, that's Jesus. He's the innocent lamb that was slain for us from the foundation of the world. If we will apply His blood, it's Him. Uh, when they uh, put the blood on the doorpost of their house, you know, they didn't do a little dabble, do you? They put that blood on there because they wanted that angel to see it, right? So the blood's flowing from this side, the blood's flowing from this side, the blood's flowing from the top of the doorpost, from three points. And of course, what's it going to do? It's going to drip and run. So you've got blood in four places. Picture of the cross in every door there in the house. When they needed water, water, the rock that gave them water, the scriptures say here, was Christ. What was God telling them? He's telling them, I am your deliverance. It really is me. It's not the door that I open. It's not a, a piece of granite. It's me. Um, when they needed food, the bread that came from heaven was a picture of Jesus. I am the bread come down from heaven, he declared. He was born in Bethlehem, which means the house of bread. Um, he even in John chapter 3 declared himself to be like the brazen serpent that healed them of the snake bites. And said, if I'm lifted up, as Moses lifted up the serpent on the pole, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. So that whoever would believe in him would not perish. That's what John 3.16 is all about. is about Jesus being the brazen serpent on the pole. When we look at him on the cross, he became sin for us and received a judgment for that sin. Uh, if you take time to study it, you can see how brass is a symbol of judgment. In fact, the altar where they, in the temple, in the tabernacle, where the animals were slain, that altar was made out of brass, symbolic of judgment. Uh, if your prayers were not heard under the Old Testament law, the Bible says that the heavens were as brass. It just comes bouncing, your prayers just come bouncing back down to you rather than reaching heaven. So it was symbolic of judgment. And Jesus received judgment for us and... He was the serpent on the pole. I mean, I know you don't normally think of Jesus being a snake, but, but you've got to understand, He became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. He also became judgment upon the serpent. In Genesis 3.16, God's promise to the woman was 
your seed will bruise the head of the serpent and he will bruise his heel. And that was a picture of Jesus. So Eve looked forward to having that child. And so when uh, Cain was born, she said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. Boy, did he turn into a disappointment. So she's left with one child. He kills her other son. And Cain is a vagabond. So she has a third child, named him Seth, and said, I have gotten another man from the Lord. She's looking for someone to bruise the head of the serpent. Looking for that one who would have his heel bruised in the process. Well, that was Jesus. Hanging on the cross, all the weight of his body is on three nails, and his feet are crossed, and so all the weight of his body are on three nails and one heel. So one of the severe wounds that he received was the bruising of his heel, foretold prophetically in Genesis 3.16. And so we see that Jesus is all of these things that brought them freedom. And when they didn't turn to him, they fell into idolatry. Either either looking to the past, I wish I had never left Egypt. I wish I had had some garlic and wild onions instead of this angel food. Um, does that ring any bells? Sometime you may hit a wall in your walk. You may be in a trial and you may look back. I wish I had never... Who's ever had the shoulda, coulda, woulda-itis going on? I should never have married you, or I should never have. You can't undo the past. You move forward. I'm not turning back. I'm moving ahead. Anyway, um, we move forward in Him. And so when we face trials and temptations, we can draw strength from this promise in chapter in verse 13 of 1 Corinthians 10, that no temptation has overtaken us except such as is common to man. So there's no temptation you face that no one else in the world has ever faced. You ever faced a trial and think, I'm the only one. There are other people that have faced what you're facing. So no temptation is unusual. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Now, Traditionally, we look at this verse and say, okay, the Lord will make a way. The Lord will make a door. And He will. But if we're looking for the door, we're missing the point. He is the source of all escape. He is the remedy to all bondage. He is the victory for all tyranny. So He is the door. He is the way. He Himself personally is all that I need to face any challenge that comes my way. You see that? Um, there's a group called Celebrate Recovery. Helps people. Who's heard of Celebrate Recovery? It was born uh, out of a local church in in um, Saddleback, California. And uh, it's it's a ministry to 12 steppers, pointing them to Jesus, as well as a ministry to addicts, to addicts who are depending on something other than God to help them cope through life. And the first three steps in Celebrate Recovery's uh, remedies to getting free of stuff is, number one, admit that we are powerless over our addictions and compulsive behaviors that our lives have become unmanageable. Now, remember we're saying that God is all that we need. He is the remedy. He has the power. Amen? But many times we don't 
turn to Him or allow Him to be all that He is in our lives because we won't admit that we are as messed up as we are. We won't admit our weaknesses. I, I can do this. I can do this. I can, I can make it. Romans 7.18 says, I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. That's us. But we need Him and His strength. The second step of Celebrate Recovery is, we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves would restore us to sanity. So we admit that we are powerless, and we recognize there is a higher power, and of course Celebrate Recovery names that power as Jesus. Philippians 2.13 promises us that it is God who works in us to will and to do His good pleasure, His purpose. And then the third, I won't go to all 12, but then the third point of Celebrate Recovery is we make a decision to turn our lives and wills over to the care of God. Admitting we're powerless, recognizing His power that we need, and we make a decision to turn our will and decisions over to Him. Now, sometimes that's easier said than done based on our conditioning, how we were raised, how we were turned out. Israel saw God part the Red Sea. They saw the Passover uh, plague that was a feast for them. They saw the bitter waters made sweet, which I think is, is symbolic of the cross, the tree that was cast in the waters is symbolic of the tree that was cast in the bitter waters of our life to bring sweetness to our lives, and forgiveness and wholeness and redemption. But they still had brains that thought like slaves. They would see what God could do. But then, because of 400 years of merciless slavery, they learned to depend on certain things to help them cope with problems. One was whining. Singing the blues. <laughs> and they would just complain up a storm at every challenge they faced instead of saying, hey, you know, the God that parted the Red Sea, the God that gave us bread from heaven, the God that uh, is giving us water out of the rock, He's able to help us through with this. When they sent spies into the promised land, how many came back with a good report? Two. How many came, up, came back with a bad report? Ten. They sided with the ten. Majority rules. My God, they brought us out here to die. We're as grasshoppers in their sight. They're giants and they think we're grasshoppers. Now, how did they know that? They didn't. They didn't know what the giants thought. But because they saw themselves as grasshoppers, my grasshopper, they, <laughs> sorry, because they saw themselves as grasshoppers, they assumed everybody else saw them as grasshoppers. And you brought us out here in the wilderness to die. Just return to the idolatry of complaining. Feel, you know, it's possible to have a pity party that becomes a pity festival and where you feel justified to be a loser because... You had such a loser for a leader like Moses. There's a song in my head that goes back to when I used to live in, live in Bloomington that 
was popular then in churches was he didn't bring us this far to leave us. He didn't pick us up to let us down. Remember that song? He didn't build his home in us to move away. He didn't teach us to swim to let us drown. Israel, he didn't bring you out here to die. You're going to conquer this land. You're going to conquer this thing. Now, it's easy for us sitting in the balcony looking back at history saying, you know, they messed up. They should have known what God could do. But, you know, knowledge is, is easy to compartmentalize. Just because you know something doesn't mean you have the reality of it in your, in your life. And because they thought like slaves, they live like slaves, below their privileges, and their children entered. They wandered 40 years in the wilderness till they all died. And it was their children raised in the wilderness who didn't have the slave-type mentality that actually conquered the land. In my own life, how this verse came alive is I knew this was true. The Lord had shown me that He is the way of escape. But I still had an independent, we're talking about independence and freedom. And one hindrance to true spiritual freedom from tyranny is independence. It, you know, there's the other side to independence. If you're too independent, it's not good. I was born, born the, first, the first of four children, so I had the firstborn thing going on. Uh, two and a half weeks after I turned four, my mother had her fourth child. So we were all born close together. There wasn't much time to coddle Alan. You gotta get rid of those diapers. You gotta move forward. You gotta help with the kids. And so you gotta be responsible. You gotta stand on your own two feet. Not throwing stones. We have to learn that. But depending on God was a hard lesson. Um, when I was nine, we left Moline, Illinois and became missionaries to Liberia, where for two years, fourth and fifth grade for me, we were homeschooled. And my mama had four kids, so she had to homeschool all of us. I wound up homeschooling myself. So if it's going to get done, you got to do it yourself. Um, and there was reverse, there was culture shock going on. I didn't fit in with those kids for those two years I was homeschooling. They, hate, they played soccer, I played basketball, my Parents brought a basketball goal and a, and a basketball, but how do you play basketball on lumpy ground? It was just forget it. And uh, they played soccer. They were barefoot. I wore shoes. I would miss the ball, skin their shin really bad. They'd fall to the ground. They'd curse me, suck their teeth at me. You do that, you're really saying something bad to people. And so they didn't want to play soccer with me anymore. And so. You know, if you're going to amuse yourself, you've got to do it yourself. And uh, we moved back to the States. I wasn't any good at basketball, and nobody wanted to play soccer, so I didn't fit in sports-wise with the neighborhood kids. Um, I didn't know what was cool. I was only 13, and uh, took a Snoopy lunchbox to school my first day in the eighth grade and found out it was very uncool. Came home, threw the lunchbox down. I will never use that thing again. Mother says, well, honey, what do they use? They carry their lunch to school in brown bags. So next day I go to school with my 
with my lunch in a brown bag, but it's a full-size grocery bag. Once again, I'm cool. I was laughing at this about my brothers the other day, and he said, you remember when we used to get on the school bus and the kids on the bus? We were the last kids on the stop. The kids, some kids on the buses we would get on, they would say, one sack, two sack, three sack, four sack. So, anyway, so, you know, how do you cope with that? Well, you just learn to stand on your own two feet and just take it. We're part of a wonderful church family that loved us, but uh, just as I was beginning to fit into the school, the way things were at school, my parents moved out of the Bloomington School District into the normal school district, and I never did figure out how to be normal. So I just went through school just to get it over with. Um, in fact, I'm the only one in my family that graduated from a public school. The others wound up going through correspondence course before it was all over, including my sister. Um, so I, I say all that not to make you feel sorry for me, but so you can see how, how life's experiences were grooming my way to cope with problems by just learning just to be on your own. So what if I don't have... Uh, any friends at school. I just got to get this thing over with. And so uh, I just learned to become real independent. Real independent. And so it affects the way you trust God if you become too independent. You see that? And so when you face a problem, it bothers you more than it should. I love what Pastor uh, Harold said earlier about us learning to trust God. When you're faced with a challenge, you can trust God. The story's not over. You're still here. All things are going to work out for good to those that love Him. Some of you say, yeah, but I'm still waiting. Well, keep on waiting and keep on trusting. It will come to pass. 1 John 1a says that if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Can we say all? If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What makes us sin? Unrighteousness that's in us. So let's say your sin is cheating at school. You confess that to Him. You're forgiven, great. But God wants to do more than just forgive us of our sins. He wants to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That means to go deeper with your repentance. Why did you cheat? Why did you just fill in the blank, whatever the sin would be? Why did you? It's just a handful of things that are the reason why we sin. And a biggie is a lack of trusting God. So like Israel in the wilderness, they thought like slaves because life was very hard back in the slave days, but they learned how to survive and they learned how to cope. And it was real easy for them when they fell into a trial to fall back into the old strongholds and to uh, complain. Or on one occasion, they took all their Egyptian gold and made a golden calf. What was that about? That was something they saw in Egypt. You know, God just keeps bringing us to difficult things. Let's try the Egyptian God for a while. Boy, how was that working for them? It didn't. 
So the world is full of temptations to lure us away from following Jesus. That's the whole purpose of this thing, is to lure us away from following Him. And I tell you what, the remedy to it all is to follow Him. It is. But, it's more than just knowing that to be true, or saying that you believe it to be true. It's a daily application of it. It, it, at least in my life it is. It's a daily saying, Lord, I yield my life to you. I trust you with all of my challenges. I trust you. I need your strength today. One day I was in prayer and this little song came to me and sometimes I sing it when I realize I'm walking in too much independence. And it's, I can't live a day of life without you, Lord. I can't live a day of life without you, Lord. I need your presence. I need your care. Lord, I'm dependent on you. I can't live a day of life. I mean, I just sing that for a long time sometimes. To get away from, from Egypt. Egypt for me was independence. People can't be trusted. People will let you down. Uh, and that equates to God, you know. Because if you don't love your brother who you can see, how can you love God who you haven't seen? Your brother was made in his image. And so I feel like there may be some people in the room this morning that uh, maybe the way you were raised things from your childhood. Your parents did your best, so we're not wanting to throw stones. But as we grow in Christ, we're becoming His children. Amen? And uh, maybe there's some independent folks in here. So just uh, just close your eyes right now. Let's say you face a challenge. It could be anything. Just, just let the word challenge be the, be the representative. What, what would you do? Would God be the first thing you'd run to? Would you cry out to Him with all your heart for help? Or would you only do that if it was a big challenge? All right, you can look up at me now. I think as we grow in Christ, when we face a really big bear, we know to run to Him. But it's those little things that, uh, you know, God, I can handle this one. Let me handle it, Daddy. <laughs> I think we fall back to old patterns, old ways of thinking when it's little things. But it's the little foxes that can spoil a fox. Could the prayer partners come forward again? Prayer partners, if you could join me across the front here. and As Jared leads us in worship here in closing, if you would like to just... Um, you know, the Bible says confess your weaknesses to one another. And pray for one another that you may be healed. That verse is powerful. It's where you get something that's in the darkness of your soul out into the light with another believer. It's, it's, it's uh, defeated. So let's, let's bring independence out into the light so we can be totally free to trust God. Amen.